Welcome to Tucson New Thought. What do you think that song is trying to say? what you need to say. It's funny because I love I love a lot of John Mayer's music and uh, we had this discussion, Carrie and I had this discussion earlier this morning about John Mayer's music. Uh, some of it is really great and some of it just really isn't that good and I feel like this is the one song that's a little bit in the middle. <laughs> I love the verses. I love the verses, what he says in the verses, you know, like walking like a one-man army, living with all your, with all your frustrations. How do you move past that is really what he's talking about in this song. But could he have gotten a little more creative on the chorus, maybe, please? <laughs> I, think it, I think Say What You Need to Say is uttered like 50 times in this song. At least, At least. yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. App- you know what? If we repeat our affirmations. And, and a few weeks ago on the Wednesday night meditation, uh, I utilized the, uh, the, the, that phrase, there's only one life, that life is God's life, that life is perfect, that life is my life now. And I utilized uh, Mala, and we chanted that 108 times. Right, Kathy? <laughs> Kathy was here. Uh, and I'll tell you, when you're chanting, and then you like get dry, and you're trying, and you're trying to keep the chant going, but you have to like get water. It's very challenging. <laughs> but it, it is a practice. That is a practical tool that you can practice to allow yourself to deepen into the understanding of what it is you're actually saying. I have had challenges in my life saying what I need to say at the time I need to say them for the highest good of not just myself, but other people in my life. I have lived in fear around saying what needs to be said. And I choose not to do that anymore. I choose not to do that anymore. So today, I have to, here's what I want. I want to start with a question. I want to start with this question. What in your life to this point has made you feel the most connected to whatever it is you choose to feel connected to? What is the thing that has made you feel most connected? I'm not, I'm allowing you a moment. This is a rhetorical question. I'm not asking you to stand up as well. Let me tell you. What makes me feel most connected? I'm just saying, allow yourself to go to that place of considering that for a moment, living in that consideration. What is the thing, if I were, you know, just putting it out there with an unexpected question today, what is the thing that makes you feel most connected? Whatever it is, love, God, whatever you choose to feel connected to. I got the great experience to go feel connected in a way that I have not felt connected in a very long time. I love walking. I love being out in nature. That is one thing that makes me feel connected. I love hiking. I love going to the Desert Museum. I'm a member of the Desert Museum and uh, grateful for that resource here. And so my husband and I, last night, they do the Saturday night, you know, they're open till 10 p.m. on Saturday nights. So as a date night, we chose to go to the Desert Museum. And it was, well, here's what was really great about it. It was astronomy night. 
So not only did I get to have the experience of nature all around me and, and seeing the bighorn sheep, which were, they were very active last night, and the bobcats were very active last night, and the otters were just having at it with their swimming last night. It was so great. Um, but I also then got to like say, I honor the planet that I live on, and I now choose to go to where they've had several telescopes set up all throughout the property and go and gaze into the universe. Talk about feeling connected. You know, we teach that the universal principle, that universal creative principle is alive within each and every one of us because it is who and what we are. I think sometimes we forget that we are just as connected as those stars that are thousands and thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of light years away. We are all one energy creating as this universe, and we are each and every one of us a part of it. So that's what makes me feel excited and connected. I was also away for a few days this week doing a memorial service for a few uh, family members. And yes, a few. They didn't, they, they didn't all make their transition <laughs> at the same time. But we celebrated four members of my family uh, while I was away in San Diego this week. My Aunt Patty, uh, she made her transition about six, oh, actually it's now about eight weeks ago. And it was unexpected and uh, rather sudden. And um, that sort of threw us into, my other Aunt Cheryl, her sister, uh, it threw us into preparing her memorial service, and she asked, me, she asked me as a minister to lead the memorial service. And what we decided we were going to do is take her ashes, and we got permits and everything, and a chartered, chartered a yacht, it's a company that does all of this, go out into the ocean and deliver her ashes into the ocean. Well, my grandfather and my great-uncle, his brother, and Cheryl's mother, it's a family shrub. I just want to be clear. It's not a family tree. It's a family shrub. Cheryl's mother, who is not my grandmother, my grandfather's first wife. So the three of them, we've been carrying their ashes for years. And my grandfather in particular, he passed in 2002. So we've been carrying his ashes for 17 years. And we had talked about all different options for internment. Now, like, what do we want to do? And then we decided, well, this is the opportunity. We're going to take all four. We're going to celebrate all four lives. And we're going to go out into the ocean and deliver them back to the earth. Well, it's, a it's an opportunity when you're doing that for four different people to reflect on the nature of family. And, you know... I, I, I had to step back and go, well, what is family? Because as I said, I have a family shrub, not a family tree. And lots of people descended for this event. Is family, this is the question that came up for me, is family shared genetics or something else? It is something else. And it can be shared genetics. It can be that. I think, it's, I think it's a little of both. It's, it's what we decide for it to be. Carrymon is my sister. We share no genetic material, <laughs> right? But we are a shared, we, we, we share a family because we've decided that's how we choose to proceed. We have, shared we have a shared background of experience, yes. But that's, I think being a family is even more than a shared background of experience. It is a decision to be a family. 
It is a decision. So all of these people descend into this experience, and there are stepchildren who are not genetically related to any of the four people, and they have chosen through their shared background of experience and their decision to celebrate what it is they call family. I'm so grateful for it. It also brought, wow, I'll tell you, it brought people into one isolated experience that has not happened in this family in this way for probably 30 or 40 years. There were people who showed up and I was like, what? It was really fascinating. I'll tell you, writing a service as well for four people is also an interesting experience. <laughs> how in-depth do you get about any one person? There's always an opportunity, I think, if we settle into our heart space to know something more, to experience and express something more. As we came together, some old wounds some old challenges with family members were opened up. We perceive those kinds of things as struggles, I think. I have perceived them as struggles. But as I titled my talk, the struggle is unreal. It's only my decision to live in the struggle that allows something to continue to be a struggle. In the knowing, when I settle into the knowing of who and what I am, that I am the expression of love, healing is possible. Anything is possible. But healing in this experience, the healing of relationships is possible and in fact probable because I think we all came, whether we knew it or not, with a common purpose of healing some of these divides that have split apart this decided family and this genetic family. So it got me to thinking, it's what I do for a living, I think, therefore I am. I started thinking about the nature of the physical manifestation of our brain. You know, I talked a few weeks ago about saying, I said, well, how do you, you know, like what is, how do you, how long does it take to change a habit? And we all had our varying degrees of answers. And I said, well, here's what I read on the internet, which is, you know, a very good source of information. <laughs> Totally reliable source of information, yes. It only takes as long to change a habit as you decide for it to take. And what happens when you change the habit is you actually do rebuild the physical structure of the brain to create new neural pathways, right? Yes. I mean, I think we all understand that. I think it happens at different rates for each and every one of us, depending on who we are in the world. Well, here's what I started thinking about. I'm like, I'm having an experience. This is going to be my input Experience. I'm, I'm getting, gathering input from the family members that are all around me, coming for various different reasons in their own mind, and I'm going to have the opportunity to express in a particular way. That's the output. So we constantly do this as living beings. We have input, we consider it, and we have output. And what is processing all of this physically, we think is the brain, although I think the heart does it too. There are just as many, or if not more, uh, 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 nerve, nerves in the heart as there are in the brain. I think the heart, I think we underestimate the heart a lot. 
but we have this process of input and output. And here's what I want to I I ask about today. What happens in between input and output? The flow from input to output has infinite possibilities. It has infinite possibilities, but we are socialized, we are culturalized, we are taught that there are limitations in how that flow unfolds. Our work is to understand, step back, see the bigger picture, and understand that there are infinite possibilities. And our work is then to direct the flow to create the life and the experiences that we would like to have. So I have this, I have this, okay, does, has anyone ever seen the game show The Price is Right? You've all seen The Price is Right? Do you know the game Plinko on The Price is Right? So if you, they, you win these chips, right, and the, the contestant, very excited, goes, steps up on top of that platform, and they release the chip, and the goal is that it's going to go down this little flag, blink, 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 and you want it to go into the $100,000 slot. On either side of the $100,000 slot are zero slots. And then there's like 1,000 and 500, you know, you, but you really want it to go into that $100,000 slot, right? That's the idea. That is the, that is the goal. But it seems fairly random. You release the Plinko chip, and it goes, plink, 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 and it may end up in the zero, it may end up in the 100,000, it may end up in the 500. I have this theory that that's kind of what happens in our own mind when we are not directing our thought. We take the input, that's the Plinko chip, and it goes into our mind, and it goes, plink, 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 output. But there are tools that we can use to direct the flow. So I, I imagine, so there are all these little pegs that stick out of the Plinko board. And I imagine that the tools we use are setting up barriers around those pegs so that we are directing whatever it is we would like right into that center slot, the $100,000 slot. That's spiritual mind treatment. That is affirmative prayer. That is the purpose of affirmative prayer, to allow our minds and our thoughts to be directed in such a way that we have an assured outcome in alignment with our highest good. From input to output, we can set ourselves up for success and eliminate the seemingly random nature of the way life unfolds. While we work this through, we may find a new voice. This is what happened to me. I found a new voice. I've been able to utilize my training as an actor and a singer for those many decades that I did that work to step into a new role and provide Sunday morning inspirational theater for all of your benefit. We may find a new voice. So here's what I want you to consider for this moment. What in this moment is your voice. What is your voice? What is it saying? How are you expressing yourself in this world? Because that is your voice. It's not just what you say, although I do think you should say what you need to say. It is how you are expressing in the world. That is your voice. Now, some of you may have looked at the talk title and thought, connect, George, what does that mean? Well, it's another, it's another musical theater reference. 
there is a show, and I will tell you, it's my favorite musical of all time called Sunday in the Park with George. And my initial thought was I was going to sing one of the songs from that show here today. And in considering it, I thought it's way too obtuse for a Sunday. No, like, first of all, I'd have to explain the whole plot of the show for you to understand the song, and that didn't seem feasible or reasonable. But there is a line. So the, 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 the concept of Sunday in the Park with George is, you know the pointless painting, A Sunday in the Island of Grand Jatte, which is, if you, it's, it hangs in the Art Institute of Chicago, and I'm sorry, I should have printed out a little thing so you could see it. You would recognize it if you saw it, but it's this woman, and she's got an umbrella and a monkey, and she's standing next to this man, and then there's all these people in the park. It was painted by George Seurat. He, he, re, he, he, he changed Impressionist painting by developing the pointillist style, and the whole play, all of act one, is about the artist and his painting. It's about asking the question, how do we create? The question we ask here every Sunday. And as an artist, you watch him go through his struggles with his art. And the struggles all unfold in the context of all the characters in the painting who are the characters in the play with whom he interacts. And at the very end of act one, he sets, the, it's a beautiful tableau vivant on stage where he sets all of the actors into their place and they create the painting on stage. Act two is a very different kind of act. Act two is about his possible great-grandson who is also an artist and you see his contemporary struggles in the 1980s of being an artist, trying to create. And there's this interesting crossover moment where one of the characters from the painting and the contemporary George, is the, the contemporary character's name is George as well, they come together at the end of the play and he's in his struggle and he says, he says this, I have nothing to say well, nothing that's not been said. I have nothing to say. Well, nothing that's not been said. And she has the most brilliant response to that, as a response I think we can all take to our own hearts. She says to him, said by you, though, George? Said by you, though, George? Never underestimate your voice in this world. Even if you think something has been said, it has never been said by you. It has never been said in the way that you approach the energy behind what it is that you need to say and express in this world. That's the connect that I think we're all looking for. We're looking for that place to connect and unfold and be the most magnificent expression of us that we can. It is, it is it, you know, I will admit that I, I was going to say I stole, but no, I borrowed the lead-in to our Sundays saying, you are magnificent from my friends Rita and Patrick in, uh, CSL, at CSL Kauai on the island of Hawaii, and <clears throat> on the island of Kauai, in Hawaii. And I remember the first time I experienced that energy of being told in that moment that I was magnificent. It was a little shocking, 
because I don't know that I'd ever been told that before in that way and with that intention. The way it was said. All these people are saying something that has been said. They, had, they, they, they may think they have nothing to say, but their saying it had an effect. I'm grateful for William telling me the story this morning of being at my concert last week. And we have these cards that we hand out. I don't, I don't have one up here. They're on the... Uh, yeah, don't worry about it. So the cards are basically just little marketing tools. So if you would like to let people know about what we do here, you can take a card and you can give it to them. It's, yeah. And it's just got the general information on the front of the card. But if you turn the card over, it says, you are magnificent. And William was telling me that one of my choir members, Aja, beautiful, beautiful being of light, who I got the pleasure of standing next to during the entire show, William handed Aja one of these cards, and, and Aja's looking at it, and they're going, oh. And he says, turn it over. So Aja turns it over, and tears. There's an energy that we get to carry with us in every moment. There's a, there's a light energy, and we must never underestimate the power that we have to help people understand the truth of who they are. Our work, I believe, thank you, our work is to move past the hurts we feel we have been subjected to and help. If we are going to be active in this philosophy in the world, it is up to us to take, to take charge of our own beingness. And we can't do that if we are rooted in the hurts. Hurt people hurt people. Healed people heal people. Who do you choose to be today? It may seem simplistic. It is, that is a simplistic statement, but it's a, for me it's a very profound it's a very profound state, statement, and I've seen it play out repeatedly. Hurt people, hurt people, healed people, heal people. Who do you choose to be today? I think we should simplify all of this. That's why I always tell people, yes, we utilize this as the primary text, The Science of Mind by Ernest Holmes is the primary text for the branch of new thought that I have been trained in, and it's daunting. I mean, here's the thing. They make it look like a Bible, right? <laughs> they make it, it's like, oh gosh, I have to read all of that to understand this philosophy? And the answer is no. You can understand the philosophy in two simple phrases. I am that which is. God is me. I am God. I am the expression of love. Well, I guess I've now made one statement into three. And the second part is I create my own experience. The law of cause and effect is working for each and every one of us. We get to create our experiences, and we have that authority because of who we are. We have a divine, natural authority. It is our DNA, our divine, natural authority to create the lives we would like to create. I think we need to simplify, but it has to be rooted and directed in the truth that we know. The struggle of life is an illusion. Life wants to be lived. We're the ones who get in the way with our erroneous thinking. Life wants to thrive. We are the ones who get in the way with our erroneous thinking. Each and every one of you, and I'm going to say you are 
the embodiment of life. And life is magnificent, so you are magnificent. When we guide that mental plinko chip rooted in spiritual truth, we will always hit the jackpot. The work we do in deep knowing guides that flow from input to output. So what do you know? What do you know? Do you know that you are inherently connected to all life, from everything on this planet to those galaxies and stars that are thousands and thousands of light years away? Or do you only understand it intellectually? Do you know that you are inherently connected as spirit, or do you only understand it intellectually? Do you know that you are inherently connected to something within that is untouched by anything outside the self, or do you only understand it intellectually? We must move beyond the intellect into the embodiment of this idea so that we can be the healed who heal. Here's your homework. Oh, gosh, homework again? Right? It's easier this week, I promise. I just want you in your own unique individualized way to find new ways this week to more deeply connect in a heart-centered way with yourself and with others. You get to determine what that means to you, what that looks like for you. But I would like each and every one of us to make the commitment this week to step forth and connect in a heart-centered way with ourselves and others. It is time we set ourselves up for success. What do you say? Does that sound good? Oh, yeah? yeah? We, we, we can set ourselves up by utilizing the most powerful, creative tool we have. It is right here. It is each and every one of us. That powerful, creative tool is our mind, and that's the truth. Namaste. Thank you for listening. Visit TucsonNewThought.org for updates on everything that's happening at the center. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Tucson New Thought. Namaste.